It's planting season, and it's not too late to make sure your crops grow up fed and happy. Regardless of your spring crop, Fed and Happy offers a variety of worm-casting solutions in liquid and solid form to supercharge your soil, your yields, and your profitability. For fast, vibrant germination and seedling growth, mix your seed with Fed and Happy's screened granular castings pre-drilling. The Fed and Happy liquid seed treat and extracts offer the ideal mix of soluble solids loaded with living beneficial biology, mycorrhizal fungi, humates, and more. The Fed and Happy small spreadable castings are ideal for fast, easy soil incorporation. The large offer long-term stability and soil growth. But you don't have to figure this out on your own. Just call 833-GO-WORMS to speak with our farm team experts for a fast turnaround on a custom solution for your needs. Fare better against pests, disease, drought, and other potential hazards this season with Fed and Happy Worm Castings. Visit FedandHappy.com for a healthy harvest and any lawn, garden, and tree care needs. Available for pickup and on-farm delivery. That's F-E-D-N-Happy.com. Or call 833-GO-WORMS. Happy planting. Welcome. You're listening to Casually Baked, the podcast. Home base for the can of curious. Thanks for tuning in. It's high time. We had a high time. Together. Together. Yes, it's high time. We had a high time. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, your host and Cannabis Lifestyle Guide. Fertility can be an emotional conversation for a lot of women or couples struggling to conceive. I've seen firsthand the lengths some people go to to become parents. The physical and emotional and financial stress constrain even the strongest relationships. The good news is, There are a lot of ways to optimize fertility that we can personally control. If you or someone you love is trying to get pregnant, whether or not cannabis is part of the equation, definitely don't miss this podcast. This chat with my epigenetic coach, David Krantz, takes place in cyberspace, and it sounds like it. So... I recommend you get casually baked and pretend David and I are on a spaceship together. And you are ground control, listening in. <laughs> I got the bottle of wine, the high dollar kind. I got the West Coast smoke, but I better just take one. A few years ago, I'd read that cannabis had negative effects on fertility. I happened to be at a happy hour a few hours later and was with some cannabis-consuming friends, and when I shared this information, they exchanged an odd look to each other across the table, and apparently they had just found out that day that they were accidentally pregnant. So I didn't think much about the topic after that because I'm like, okay, we don't know what's going on. But recently, I had another question from a listener on social So I thought I'd call up my epigenetic coach, David Krantz, 
to discover what he's learned on the subject and whether or not it's a cannabis thing or if the answer might lie in our genes. So, David, thank you so much for going balls deep with me today. (laughs) (laughs) You are so welcome. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Yes. So tell me, what, what do you know on this subject? Well, uh, thanks. Well, first of all, thanks for prompting a lot of research <laughs> on this subject because I, I had only peripherally, uh, you know, had some some knowledge on this before you you contacted me with that question, and the answer is not entirely clear. Uh, there are a number of different conflicting studies on this, which we'll unpack a little bit here today, and there is, seems to be evidence for both sides of that, and it leads me to wonder. What could be the potential differences that might cause someone to have, you know, poorer infertility or poor fertility versus better fertility, which some of the studies seem to suggest. Um, and you know, we'll, we'll get into that here. And one of the things that I'd like to go ahead from the outset here and frame this with is that there are so many factors that influence for fertility and cannabis, I'm sure, impacts it in some way. Uh, whether that's positive or negative, it's kind of hard to tell based on the science right now. Um, but you know, I thought maybe we could also look at some other potential factors that might influence uh, fertility and and what you could do if um, you know you're trying to get pregnant or having difficulty, and look at some other potential factors besides just quitting weed or smoking more of it if you're not smoking it, and looking at the research that tends to suggest that it does improve fertility. So. Okay. Um, yeah, not a, not a clear picture, but I, I, we'll, we'll talk about the nuances here. All right, that sounds good. Well, so right now from what I've read, it seems like the, the doctors and the people with more knowledge than I have suggest that you should not smoke weed if pregnancy is a desired part of your future. They say it's the better safe than sorry approach because they don't necessarily know. So um, I do recognize and know that we have endocannabinoid receptors, you know, throughout our ovaries and fallopian tubes and, and, you know, throughout our human body. So, you know, to me, I'm like, it feels like there could be something there, but, but I don't know. Yeah. And apparently um, sperm themselves have uh, endocannabinoid receptors. They actually have CB1 receptors in them. What? Yeah. Oh my God. I didn't know that either. Yeah. And (laughs) so there were some earlier studies uh, in the early 2000s that were looking at sperm motility and actual and sperm behavior when they were exposed to THC. And uh, the general conclusion that they came to was that sperm burned themselves out quicker. Like they, like they, they. So like here, apparently healthy sperm are like are are supposed to not really wriggle and go too hard until they're at a certain point in the, um, the reproductive tract, uh, and that they'll tire themselves out and use all their energy if they like, you know, just do it like off out of the gate. And what they were finding is that, um, sperm that had been exposed to THC were much more excitable right out of the gate and would tend to get tired <laughs> later in the game. So, so uh, right. Isn't it? So, you know, and probably has to do with, um, the endocannabinoid receptor function there. And they were also suggesting that it might impact sperm behavior. If say a female had smoked 
uh, but not the male because there still might be circulating cannabinoids in her reproductive tract and in, in, right. in the uterus. That would then attach to those CB1 receptors mm-hmm. on the actual sperm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. You know, I ran track in high school, you know, and there's a difference in preparing and running the two mile versus the 800. They're supposed to like, you know, play the long game, keep it slow and steady and then kick in at the end. <laughs> That's so funny. And then they just get high and excited. <laughs> they get high and excited and they can't control themselves and they, they forget that they're supposed to be running a, a 2K rather than a, an 800. <laughs> That's funny. I mean, that sounds like men in general. <laughs> 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 so you've read some interesting um, studies. That Harvard study, I think it was released in, in December, right? Um, so what did you learn I in that one? That was the... So that was the Duke study that was done in December. So I want to give your listeners kind of the timeline here. Uh, You got in touch with me in December because there was a study that came out that was done at Duke that was looking at epigenetic changes in sperm in mice. And they did a small 24-person study in humans that to some degree supported their what they were seeing in rats, which was that THC would cause changes to the epigenome in sperm. And so these are the marks on the DNA that will change gene expression. And what was unclear was whether or not that would be passed on to offspring. And it looked like in mice that that was passed on to offspring, which we have learned in the past, really, this is new information of of five years or so, that epigenetic marks in sperm will get passed down to children. They didn't think that was possible. Um, but you actually do encode some of the uh, life experiences, things that you might be doing, like smoking weed or you know putting whatever chemicals or nutrients or uh, things in your body do leave an impact on these little marks uh, that you know kind of help your body adapt and survive and thrive within environments. The amazing thing about the epigenome is that it does a really good job of preparing future generations to sort of encounter the same things. And so when you you want to conceptualize this, you're almost thinking about this as a system to impart the wisdom of how your body knows or like thinks the best way to respond to the current environment is onto your kids. And so this is what happens when you look at studies where um, say grandparents were exposed to famine conditions or to, you know, difficulty, uh, high stress environments. And you see epigenetic changes in, in their kids and their grandkids, uh, that to some degree, you know, their bodies were trying to prepare their children to say like, Hey, this is a really like harsh environment. We're going to make these changes to the way your genes are expressing. So you can uh, hopefully thrive in in that environment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's it's really unclear exactly what those epigenetic changes that they found in sperm mean. And when you look at the the conclusion of those papers, uh, they're all on the you know kind of on the lines of well, we know there's something happening here. We don't necessarily know the causality. You know what these changes are going to do long term. It does stand to reason that what you were saying about being better being safe than sorry. Uh, you know, and, and potentially if you were planning to conceive and you didn't need to, to use cannabis for a medical condition and it was more of a recreational thing, um, you know, and looking at optimal sperm motility, sperm function, yeah, you, you may say that, you know, 
not smoking weed while you're trying to conceive might actually be a good idea. But at the same time, it, we don't know what those changes are actually doing. So it's hard to, to say uh, whether or not the, the differences in the epigenome that's being passed on to your kid would be beneficial or harmful or some combination of the two in different ways. And that's probably most likely what it is, is that you'll see these uh, kind of differential results from epigenetic changes. It's not like a linear thing where it's it's just good or it's just bad. Most of the time, you'll see certain genes get upregulated, certain ones get downregulated, and it's more of a, a, a complex picture in terms of how that might actually translate into real life. So you know, it, so it's there's not definitely even something going on. Yeah, so it's not even a good or a bad. It is completely nuanced in every single person. Yeah, yeah, I, I would say so. And and there needs to be more studies on what these genes uh, are actually doing that are being turned on and off in sperm. And I mean, when you compare it to those studies that were looking at motility and sperm getting really excited and, and maybe not making it the, you know, the full the full way, the full the full swim full race. <laughs> yeah, the full swim. You know, it could be negative in terms of like how good are the sperm at getting to the egg and getting inside of it. Maybe there's mm -hmm. some reduced function there, but at the same time, you got to also take that into consideration. Like, well, what are the changes that are being passed on to the next generation? Are there potentially positive changes that could happen? Sure. Are there potentially negative ones there too? Sure. And you know, that's really, I think, at this time, all that's known is that yes, of course, there are changes. If you're going to bank on the the side of you know, you think it's it's probably not going to be a good thing, you know, and probably in terms of your choice and, and conception, it's probably a good idea not to consume right. cannabis. But if you're someone who's, who sees the benefit in it and like maybe wants to pass on, you know, some of the more positive traits that do emerge in people, um, you know, you could use it that way too. Right. And of course we have to acknowledge that with federal legalization, the doors will open for much more research on this and research done on humans and not furry friends or rodents. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And that and that's a great lead in to this study that just came out a week ago. This was this Harvard study. And this was a 17 year long study uh, that was done between 2000 and 2017. And th this was a pretty big study. They were looking at 1,143 people. And this was done at Mass General Fertility Center. So these were people that were what they call subfertile, uh, that were trying to become more fertile. And this Research here just throws a wrench totally in the <laughs> of line course of it logic, does. right? So, so previous studies like they've shown that people that smoke cannabis tend to have lower sperm counts. Um, this showed the exact opposite in this seventeen-year-long study with a lot of people in it. So you have to give it you know a decent amount of weight. And uh -huh. so of the about five hundred people that reported that they had smoked I'm sorry, three hundred sixty-five of them reported they had smoked marijuana at some point. And of those three hundred sixty-five, they had their their mean sperm count was uh sixty two point seven million per milliliter versus forty five point four million per milliliter per non weed smokers. So that's a really significant difference. Yeah. Um, I mean like very significant. And, you know, they, they don't really have a, a, I don't understand why, especially when it's counter to all of the other research, but it just adds this other layer in to say, Hey, there, there might be a more complex picture 
I think I did see this study and I think that it was a, is this a correlation or a causation situation? Mm -hmm. Because they're like, okay, people with higher testosterone seem to lead more riskier lives. You know, they take more risks. So it's like, does that higher testosterone level mean that they're willing to just experiment with drugs and that happened to be why, or is it that it was an actual, you know, fertility thing? Yeah. And, and see that, that makes me wonder too. And it says it right here. I'm looking at an article about this, you know, uh, suggests that we, it might be associated with yeah higher testosterone levels because it's risk quote unquote risky behavior. Well, I just think about, you know, using cannabis since I was, 19 years old and I don't necessarily feel like it's risky behavior. So I did a little bit of an eye roll whenever I first read that, but I'm like, well, you know, I mean, I guess that could be it. Yeah. And the other thing too is, is interesting because they, they don't actually make the correlation between testosterone level in the study. And actually most of the time you cannabis in other studies is shown to be associated with lower luteinizing hormone which it causes the release of testosterone. So you do tend to actually see a little bit lower testosterone uh, in long-term cannabis users for the most part, uh, which is potentially maybe challenged by this new study. But mm-hmm. Well, so uh, you said this is a 17-year study. So how many different times did they check in with um, with these patients? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm not sure how many different points of um, of testing there was. Uh, I'd have to dig into it a little bit more. But, you know, I think one of the things that is clear is that there are some hormonal changes and there are some differences. So, you know, I think overall, if you are in a situation where you're trying to become pregnant, you're trying to, you know, become more fertile and you're not fertile, if you're smoking a lot of weed, you should you know, maybe a strategy would be to stop smoking weed for six months and see how that changes it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe if you're someone who's never smoked weed before, what this study is suggesting is that if you're infertile and have low sperm count, maybe actually smoking a, you know, small amount of weed might help. Uh, That's total conjecture. But like so many things, I wonder how much of this has to do with the dosage and the frequency and, you know, the way that you use it more so than it being just this black or white, yes or no. Right. I agree. And especially when we're talking about the endocannabinoid system where you can flood it, so Mm -hmm. to speak, you know, I feel like anyone that is experimenting or, you know, trying to see what works for them, it would be all about that microdosing situation where you just consume a little bit every day over the course of, you know, a few months and conduct your own experiment. When I, when we talked earlier about how that one study said, you know, that it can actually physically change the structure of the sperm, like, are there anything from your arsenal of your research and your work in genetics, are there certain other things that we can do in our life besides the, let's try to use cannabis or try not to use cannabis? Like what are some of those other things that we can do? 
Yeah, I think that's really the big question and kind of almost more what I'm personally interested in than trying to figure out, you know, what is the sum total effect of cannabis on, on this? Because mm-hmm. I think that there's a there's a lot of other ways to optimize fertility uh, and a lot of other ways to improve this. And, uh, you know, one of the biggest things is going to be um, optimizing your nutrition and making sure you're getting a full range of vitamins and nutrients and essential fatty acids. Um, one of the big things is definitely looking at omega threes and how much omega threes or omega sixes you're getting in your diet. Um, most Americans are eating, you know, skewed towards the too much omega six balance just because of, uh, oils that tend to get used in foods and restaurants and, uh, you kind of have to spend. And are these like all of our um, nuts and nut butters and nut milks and all of that stuff everyone's crazy about right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, the nuts are going to have a lot of omega sixes. Okay. And um, when you look at anything that's fried, anything that's made with vegetable oil, canola oil, seed oil, it's going to skew the ratio of omega uh, three to six fats in the body towards the six side. And uh, you know, uh, fish and seafood is a really high source of, of omega-3s. And uh, if you're thinking about becoming pregnant and you want to increase your fertility, um, increasing omega-3 intake and reducing omega-6 intake is a pretty strongly supported way to make that happen, as well as really just uh, optimizing energy metabolism in the body. And uh, doing all the things that are going to make you feel healthy and happy and, you know, present is also going to give your sperm or eggs, whatever, you know, whatever reproductive, uh, media you have in your body, uh, <laughs> the opportunity to be the, the most, the, it's like a reflection of you, you know, like mm-hmm. if you, if you are, um, if you are feeling really good and you have a lot of energy, uh, you're going to kind of pass that on to your reproductive system too. And, and when you think about what the, the reproductive system actually is doing, especially in females and especially the actual selection of the ova, um, you, that actually tends to select and create epigenetic changes based on the environment. So if you have this, uh, if your body is sensing lots of energy availability and abundance, um, you are going to set your kids up for more success in terms of what you're going to pass on, what we were talking about before with the epigenetic type of, uh, hereditary things. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you are putting yourself in a position where you have less stress, more available energy, more food abundance, uh, you tend to promote better epigenetic changes down the line. At least that's what the research suggests. And I can imagine that goes along with just our environment as far as stress and our happiness level and, you know, the amount of conflict and drama that's in our lives, like getting all of that stuff under control seems like it would have the same effect. It absolutely would. And, you know, that's something that a lot of people don't tend to realize is the body senses stress whether it's from emotional or mental stress or from cellular stress, um, you know, it senses it in, in very similar ways and kind of ends up mm-hmm. with the same sum effect, some total effect in a lot of ways as well. So you can help improve your body's cellular functioning by reducing your mental and emotional stress. And then, you know, of course, taking care of any type of ex- extra inflammation 
using certain herbs like curcumin or ashwagandha, things that in CBD too, uh, anything that's going to help with just reducing overall cellular stress load on the body is, is very helpful for improving fertility uh, and giving your body the, the signals that it's, it doesn't have to struggle just to you know do daily functions and it can put a little bit more energy into reproductive mechanisms. Okay, so you mentioned CBD. So when we're talking about cannabis potentially having a negative effect on fertility, we're really talking about the THC cannabinoid. Yeah, we're really talking about the THC cannabinoid um, in terms of what's been studied. And to my knowledge, I don't know of anything that's been done on CBD yet uh, in fertility. So when I came to you and did the the various panels so that I could optimize my own life. Is there something that can be done that gives people an overview of what their body and fertility roadmap might look like? Yeah, absolutely. What if I were to work with someone who is interested in increasing their fertility, we'd be doing a lot of the same same things that you and I have have been doing as far as mm-hmm. looking at you know what's optimal nutrition, uh, what are the particular detoxification pathways in your body that you know might use a little extra support, uh, what herbs are going to really produce the best function in, in those pathways and help your body um, really maximize you know the nutrients that are put in it and re- get rid of the things that it doesn't need and so you know with someone who is looking to improve their fertility I, I'd focus very much on the healthy fats like I was mentioning with the omega threes and sixes mm-hmm. and uh, really looking at overall inflammation and you know it's really not too much different than just looking at um, optimal health overall. Uh, and then there might okay. be some additional herbs that might optimize hormone function too that we might look at. Okay. So there's not just like some specific genes that you can review and and say, okay, based on your, you know, your alleles or the, your variants in this gene, you are going to have a tougher time conceiving. It's not like that. It's more of an overall big picture view of what's happening in your body. Right. Right. I'm not, I'm not so much looking at specific variants that might make it harder or less hard. It's more about optimizing function in the whole body overall, which then gives the reproductive system more energy and more available nutrients to, to do what it needs to do. Well, and I think that's good though, because you know, the, the dementia and Alzheimer's, that sort of thing where you can kind of pinpoint it. But to me, it seems a lot more hopeful to be able to say, listen, this is about like living your best life, feeling as good as you can, creating a really great environment within your body and within your your living space, so to speak, that you can invite fertility into your life. I mean, there's so many women that their clock's ticking and they get really stressed out. They may be looking over at their husband or fiance and they're just like, put the fucking joint down. I'm not getting pregnant. Like, you know, and it just like they turn into crazy people. It's nice to know that us taking good care of ourselves and, you know, creating this kind of kumbaya environment that we can still invite fertility in without thinking like it's just never going to happen for me. 
Right. And, you know, with with certain people, if there if it was a longer term type thing where they were continuing to not be able to get pregnant, then for those people, I, I would probably go and do a more in-depth look at some genes and, and SNPs that might affect function. Um, mm-hmm. But for the average person, I would probably start with a more whole systems approach. And, you know, I'd say that really when you look at the research in terms of what the fertility research shows it's it's more about looking at the whole picture than really diving into very very specific type of reproductive pathways like that for most for most people right on okay so i had done a little bit of reading about how the female body works whenever it comes to fertility and and the things that we're looking at with cannabis, and then the same thing with men and sperm counts. And you're right. I mean, it seems like the big picture is we just, we don't know. We need to get cannabis federally legal so that we can really dive into it. But is there anything that you found like really interesting or poignant in the research that you looked into? You know, I'd say that I don't have a clear picture myself. And I want to be really clear that the research is conflicting. And, you know, as being someone who's pro-cannabis and a cannabis lover, I want my my own confirmation bias goes immediately to I want to look at all the studies that support it being good and being healthy and, and, and not causing issues for, uh, you know, sperm motility or anything like that. But I do think there's enough out there that's worth, you know, causing some concern and and, and really looking at it from the perspective of, you know, what is it most functional for uh, it's probably not the most functional for improving fertility. I mean, maybe maybe this you know the new study from Harvard is going to flip that on its head. But uh, I still do think there is you know some cause for concern uh, okay. and some cause for if if you were if you were going to try and get pregnant and it wasn't happening, then you know I think it's an it's an available option to try to to remove cannabis for a little bit and see what happens. And like you, being a cannabis lover, obviously, I want that to be okay, too. But yeah, so we're going to stick with the uh, the better safe than sorry approach, I guess. Yeah, better safe <laughs> than sorry. And and, and again, there, there's other things. I would be way more concerned about you keeping your cell phone in your pocket than smoking weed if you were a man and trying to get pregnant. Because the, the data that's out there on... Uh, electromagnetic fields and sperm motility is, uh, I think, more concerning than the cannabis piece. So, Interesting. you know, yeah. I would look at, at in, uh, remediating your electromagnetic environment as a key component to this as well. Um, and, you know, really, when you look at the rate, the fertility rates and how they've dropped in relationship to uh, the proliferation of wireless technology, the, the correlation is there. Um, yeah. there are smaller studies that show some causation. So I am on the cautious side with that and would, you know, potentially look at that before I blame cannabis. If yeah. you know, you're someone who carries your cell phone in your pocket all the time. Well, and I don't know that I've ever been around a man that didn't carry their cell phone in their front pocket. Women, we always throw ours in our back pocket. Yeah. Well, everyone's frying but- their balls. Yeah. And men are frying their balls. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, you and, and I would say uh, if you put your phone on airplane mode, you, re- you reduce that risk by about 10,000 times. But, yeah. you know, bet, better not at all. But seriously, if you if you I think putting your phone this is this totally a different topic. And we, well, no, know, but it's practical and it, it makes sense with what yeah. with what we're talking about. 
Yeah, putting your phone in airplane mode is probably the number one thing you can do for your health if you are a cell phone user, just flat out, in my opinion. All right. Well, do you have any other hot tips for us? That was my hot tip. <laughs> well, that is a good hot tip. I'll include some links to these studies in the show notes. But yeah, thank you so much for chatting with me on this. I mean, I knew that what I was finding was kind of all over the place. So it's all over the place. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is. And I mean, that probably is not going to make my listeners feel any better, but at least, you know, we all don't know together. (laughs) Right. We all don't know together. And one thing I will say, I don't think I mentioned this, is that the study that uh, was just done at Harvard that showed the positive effect for uh, for sperm count. You know, this was all done on healthy, generally healthy males. And a lot of the other previous studies were looking at people that were, were probably drug users and were not necessarily the healthiest of population. So, you know, you do kind of get the the crossover between, you know, say different other drug habits and things mm-hmm. that might be impacting sperm count. And I think there's uh, you know, a lot of room to look at this. And I think that there's probably going to be some varying effects that, you know, down the line or, you know, various causes that are going to eventually explain why there's so much conflicting data. Um, but those particular reasons just aren't available yet, but I'll have my ear to the ground and I'll let you know if I. Right on. We'll have another episode if we learn anything exciting. Uh huh. Well, all right. Well, I know I need to touch base with you again soon. Um, have another coaching call on my yep. own path to wellness, but I'm okay, not do doing it start? on the show. Okay. <laughs> do it in private. Yes. Yes, we will. When it comes to cannabis and fertility, there's no conclusion strong enough to lean on just yet. I'm not trying to get preggers, but if I were, I'd cut out the THC and go with a CBD-only cannabis diet. You are the authority of your personal health and happiness. Don't underestimate the power of your diet, your exercise routine, managing your stress levels, and daily emotional wellness. If you want a baby, we're going to get you a baby. And I don't mean I'm going to steal you one Raisin Arizona style, even though that is one of my favorite movies. Son, you got a panty on your head. (laughs) But I will inspire you to choose your optimum future in every choice you make. Think about what an amazing parent you'll be every time you make the healthier choice for dinner. Or every time you choose a workout over happy hour or a morning meditation over a 20-minute battle with the snooze button. Micro-decisions are the engine of life, and your mindset, my friend, is the GPS. Decide you're fertile and get excited about it. And when you get pregnant, you can name your kid after me. (laughs) If you're like me, you are bombarded with a shit ton of content every day. So it's nice to have someone you trust sharing the good stuff with you. That said, if you know someone with baby making on the brain, I hope you'll pass along this episode of the podcast. If my mission of living an inspired life and using cannabis as a tool for wellness resonates with you, please consider writing a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. 
You are such a powerful creator that your input will help make this labor of love of mine profitable. So you get out there and get excited about babies, and I'll be over here getting excited for payday. I'm recording this episode of the podcast on February 18th. It's President's Day, but it also happens to be the birthday of my father. So happy birthday, Butch Nuding. You look amazing for 72. I'm proud to be your daughter. Thank you for being a loyal listener. I hope you appreciate your little Easter egg. We're about to find out if you listen to my shows all the way to the end. Even if you don't, I still love you. We had a Casually Baked the Podcast was created, recorded, and produced by yours truly. Editing and sound designer in the capable hands of Arnav Gupta. Will Llewellyn is editing the video version of the podcast, now available on YouTube and channel 203 on Cannabis Club TV. The podcast theme music is by my highly talented friend, Seth Walker. If you aren't familiar with Seth's music, you can find High Time on his album, Gotta Get Back wherever you're buying your music these days. I know he didn't create high time for me, but it sure as shit sounds like he did, right? I hope you'll tune in next time. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin. And I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.